Welcome to Closer to the Fire from the Voice of the Martyrs Canada with a focus on the persecuted church. Hey, thank you for joining me. I think many people, you know, as you watch the news, are quite aware that the government in Iran is among the most oppressive regimes in the world. You know, there it's illegal to leave Islam and Christians often face constant threats of imprisonment or being falsely charged with acting against national security. And the known followers of Jesus, often evicted from their rented homes, routinely fired from their jobs. And, you know, as they try to find new jobs to provide for their families, it's often very difficult. But many believers, they gather in these secret fellowships. They receive their teachings through Christian media that's either coming, you know, via satellite being broadcast, also on the Internet, or even smuggled into the country. Christians are currently imprisoned for their faith in Jesus and even exiled to other parts of the country, you know, separated from their families. But you know what? They are continuing to see amazing growth even as they are gathering secretly. Now, many believers have also left Iran because of the political turmoil and the difficulties that are going on there. It's a very, very harsh place to be. And, you know, as they've left the country, they are praying and hoping that they can maybe find a new home in places like Canada. But, you know, in spite of all that is going on in Iran when it comes to the persecution of Christians, Iran has one of the fastest, if not the fastest growing church movement in the world, the growing underground church. Now, I recently caught up with Dr. Ed Sally. He is the president of ICNet TV. That is the first Canadian 24-hour day internet and satellite Christian channel in the Farsi language. Dr. Sally is also the host of the live programs on that channel. He is the executive director of Acts 13 Christian Ministries. That's an international teaching, publishing, and media ministry started back in 1997. Dr. Sally is also an author and the president of Trinity Theological Ministries, which is an online theological seminary in the Farsi language and also a partner with the Voice of the Martyrs Canada. Here now is that conversation with Dr. Sally. So, Ed, what is the current situation happening right now in Iran uh, during this pandemic? I know all countries around the world are, you know, impacted by this, but how are our brothers and sisters in Christ doing in Iran right now? Well, Greg, the situation in Iran is uh, pretty much as disastrous as you can imagine. Uh, the government has not really taken the pandemic either seriously or they are incapable of managing the pandemic. Uh, and partly the fault is with the people. People are not observing the protocols, uh, international protocols. So I know that uh, a great majority of the population have either contracted the COVID-19 virus or uh, there's a very imminent danger of a lot of people dying of this virus. And uh, unfortunately, the vaccines are also uh, not as available as you would find in some of the industrialized and Western countries. Uh, I think some of the situation with previous embargoes and a uh, number of, uh, you know, uh, limitations that were imposed by Western governments on Iran has made it difficult for them to secure vaccines. So the vaccines that they're getting are primarily from China uh, and some from Russia. And we don't know the quality of those vaccines compared to, let's say, Pfizer or Moderna or some of the other better vaccines uh, in the West. 
So it is not very good. I hear everyday reports of people that are coming down, young or old, doesn't matter. As I said, partly is because of people not really observing the protocols, and then partly is because of the mismanagement by uh, most likely uh, local and uh, you know national government in terms of securing enough vaccines and putting some restrictions that can be enforced. And that's the situation we're in right now. You know, when these kinds of things happen, pandemics, um, earthquakes, of course, Iran has been hit hard. Christians are often the ones that are counted upon to help, you know, with humanitarian. So what is it like for Christians in Iran to try to help their fellow countrymen, where much of the church, 99% of the church is actually underground? Well, uh, it's a very difficult situation for Christians in Iran to be able to do anything uh, effective or meaningful because they themselves are also uh, caught in uh, the troubles that the general population is experiencing. So uh, the number one thing that Christians do in situations like this, uh, and you probably have read, you know, I'm sure you've read the history of the persecution in the last hundred years, with communism in countries like Russia and China, uh, Christians resorted to uh, intercession. That's first and foremost. They get into an intercessory uh, prayers and begin to intercede for the entire population and that God would be merciful, God would be gracious and bring about changes even through human instrumentalities. Uh, Christians in Iran are not well-to-do. There's not much affluence there for them to be able to uh, lend a helping hand, but uh, usually they volunteer as best as they can by sharing some food and some uh, you know, other material that they can. Uh, but uh, you know, I would say that probably the number one thing that they do is to start mobilizing prayers, intercession, and uh, neighborly uh, help that they can to their neighbors. And of course, they have to be very careful not to uh, very, make a very overt gestures of their Christian faith. They have to try to stay within certain limits so that people will not suspect that they're Christians because uh, you don't know who you're dealing with. Uh, your neighbor could look very nice and very friendly, but it could also be someone that may report your uh, Christian activities or even the fact that you're a Christian to the authorities and that could cause trouble. So there's not much that can be done given the current circumstances. Most of the help is coming from the outside, either through Christian organizations or the government also has agreements with international uh, organizations like the Red Cross or some of the other legitimate, uh, you know, international organizations that can provide some help. How difficult it, is it in Iran for a follower of Jesus to be able to talk to somebody else about the Lord? Because we hear so many of those stories, and we've covered them for many years, you know, in the Voice of the Martyrs Canada, that they are arrested because they told somebody about Jesus and put into prison because it's considered, you know, against Islam. So how do they navigate you know, being a witness for Jesus in that kind of environment. I mean, for us in Canada, you know, we still have that freedom. You know, people may not like, you know, when we talk about Jesus, but we still do have that opportunity. So how does it work in a country like Iran that it is so difficult to go out there and actually, you know, share the gospel? Well, as you said it very well, I think people take their lives uh, into their own hands and there's great risk in 
sharing the gospel, it's a hit and miss. Uh, sometimes they share the good news and their experience of how they met the Lord. Uh, and there's a, a lot of reception for that. And sometimes people react very negatively. As I said, it's a hit and miss. You don't know the person that you're talking to could be an undercover uh, intelligence officer. And the country is filled with these informants and officers that are plain clothes. You don't know who they are. And they're monitoring everything in terms of communication. They're monitoring cell phones. They're monitoring phone calls. They're monitoring any form of social media communication. So uh, Christians normally uh, assess the situation and decide if it's safe enough for them to share. And they normally do it on a, what I would call a very soft approach rather than the hard approach that, you know, just get out there and say, you know, well, do, you, do you know Jesus is the Savior and share the gospel as how we may do it in the West. Right. They may take a very softer approach by saying, well, you know, life is difficult and uh, we really need to have hope and our hope is only in God. And they slowly, you know, the tone of their conversation is very different, very distinct than what maybe a Muslim would normally speak about God. And slowly they would steer the conversation in a direction where they would challenge the person to uh, think about whether there is a better way to know God, a better way to have a relationship with God. And uh, truly, this is something that I think the Bible says the Holy Spirit has to be in lead uh, when it comes to situations like this. Again, going back to the communism era uh, in Russia, in Soviet Union, and in, even in China, uh, people were really taking their lives in their hands if they shared the gospel overtly, so they would be very wisely and carefully sharing it. But I'll tell you this, uh, on, on the one hand, you have this problem of immense danger in sharing the gospel. But on the other hand, Greg, you would find that the people of Iran are sick and tired of what I would call religious hypocrisy. They're tired of uh, religion imposing they're the do's and don'ts and all these rules that they have to observe. So there's a very, very open heart to the gospel. And I read some reports that Iran, I think, is number one or part of the top five countries in the world in terms of being open to the gospel. Right, yeah. So the population is very receptive, generally speaking. But nevertheless, you need to be very cautious and careful for Christians when they're sharing their faith. Uh, to share it in the wisest way possible with the leading of the Holy Spirit. Uh, never, having said that, it is very open. People are very, very receptive to hear something else other than what they've been hearing for all these years. Yeah, I mean, I think that goes all the way back to 1979, where you had the Islamic Revolution. And, you know, they promised pretty high things. You know, this is going to be a utopia. This is going to be amazing. Well, it led to a lot of unemployment, a lot of discouragement. So, and our mutual friend, Hermos Shariat, Dr. Hermos, you know, who also works in Iran uh, through Iran Alive, you know, has said that, you know, a part of that, and even for him personally, because he comes from Iran, is that, you know, we thought this is going to be great and we were celebrating, but it didn't turn out that way. And, you know, so many Iranians are turning away from Islam. Not all of them are turning to Jesus. But why do you think 
there's that that openness to the gospel. Is it because it is so different from what they were promised? Uh, that and also some other factors. I think the gospel appeals to Iranians because, as you said, it is very, very different way. It's a different way of looking at the person of God. Uh, it starts from there. I mean, your theology would determine your culture. I've always said a culture of a country is always dictated by their theology. Look at uh, well, look at Europe. Uh, throughout the Middle Ages, they had a certain form form of culture that was uh, somewhat oppressive, somewhat restrictive. And then when Protestant movement came, look what happened to the, the, the European culture. It, it, it just blossomed, and you have all these great things that happened in the last 500 years. So the culture of a country or a nation is determined by their theology. And they realize that the way Christianity looks at the person of God, looks at the, the issue of forgiveness, looks at the issue of life generally, it's very, very different than the predeterministic uh, theology that they're used to. You know, it's all my uh, destiny and this is what I was born and it was written on my forehead and the free will and the free choice is pretty much gone because uh, even if you decide to do something on your own, you're, you can be severely punished. So people are looking at Christianity as something very different in flavor, in, right. uh, in, in feeling. And then, of course, you have the disaster that has happened in the last 40 years with uh, real uh, tr problems for people, you know, uh, your theology is as good as uh, what is on your table that night. If you don't have food to eat, uh, you know, who is this God? You know, I, I believe in this God, but I don't have food to eat. So poverty, unemployment, uh, political instability, repression, uh, you know, uh, the, the hopelessness that the younger generation have, they have no goals in life. Everything is closed on them, there's nothing that they can do to advance and to progress. All of these things together uh, affects the, the willingness of people to be able to listen to an alternative that is much, much better and inexperienced. They really come to see that Jesus is very, very different than any other figure that they've ever heard about or read about. So the openness is due to many factors, and of course, one is one you, what you mentioned that last forty years was not a very a good page in the history of Iran from all aspects. Right. And uh, the theology is what people are sick and tired of because that theology hasn't really got them anywhere except regression into superstition and uh, ridicule. Actually, people around the world would look at them and say, are you guys in 21st century or are you somewhere in dark ages, the way that you guys are thinking about things? Right. And, and I think that that, you know, does factor in there too, you know, that Iran is often seen as a very, you know, oppressive country. It's also seen as, you know, the way that they react to, you know, when they are criticized. But the church continues to grow. One of the fastest and maybe the fastest, you know, terms of uh, rate of growth in the world is happening in Iran. So, you know, people are saying, okay, I don't want, I don't want that brand of Islam and we've seen this and it hasn't done anything to us on open to, in openness to the gospel, you know, people like yourself, you know, broadcasting into Iran, you know, through satellite television, through the internet, uh, getting resources in there. And then there's also the supernatural part. And I've met Christians, you know, former Muslims, now believers in Jesus. 
because of dreams and visions. Are you still hearing a lot about that, Ed? A lot of it, uh, Greg. Uh, it, it's amazing. In the West, uh, obviously, we have access to the scriptures and we have uh, a lot of resources from the Word of God and teachers and uh, the church that is there for us to be nurtured uh, in our faith. However, in Iran, as you very well, well mentioned, about 99%, maybe even 100% of all active churches are underground. So people really don't have access to these churches as readily as you and I would have. Uh, so God is working in some amazing ways. I, I get reports every day because, as, as you said, we're broadcasting through satellite inside Iran, and uh, we have a prayer line that people are calling in, and it's 24-7 occupied with people calling in, not only for asking for prayers, but also sharing their testimonies. And you would find many, many people have dreams, or even I would say what it's categorized as a vision of seeing someone in heaven or a, uh, uh, a person that resembles Christ or an angel uh, speaking to them and telling them a little bit about how much they're loved and what they want to, uh, what God wants to do in their lives. So whether it is a real dream or a vision from God, or it is something that it, it's an internal inspiration, the end result is uh, they come to Christ. They, they realize that Jesus is alive and Jesus is the Savior. And I hear stories of people in the most remotest places in Iran where you would, you would even hardly have an internet, wow. uh, that they've had this encounter with this person in dream or vision, and they knew it is Jesus Christ. And the entire family, the entire clan, has come to Christ, and we, 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 don't, know, we don't know what happened, how it, how it happened. Uh, of course, the uh, services that satellites, the ministry that satellites and Internet is doing in Iran, social media is doing in Iran, is amazing. Uh, people are turning uh, in hundreds and thousands to these satellite channels. If they can access some Internet sites or social media, they're getting the gospel uh, as best as we could provide it for them. And uh, I have, on a daily basis, dozens of dozens of people that are calling in, asking to come to Christ, be saved, uh, and, uh, of course, sharing these testimonies. Yeah, it is phenomenal what, you know, God is doing. It's, you know, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. The Holy Spirit is still drawing people to himself, regardless of what a regime says in any particular country. But it is hard for the followers of Jesus in Iran. Uh, I mean, we report on so many of our Iranian brothers and sisters that are put into prisons, that notorious Evan prison in Tehran. Uh, many of them are also exiled to other parts of the country, separated from family. I mean, Ed, is that used then I primarily as, a, as an intimidation to those that might even considering following Jesus? Because as far as I understand from Dr. Hamoz, the Iranian government isn't always concerned about uh, these now new Christians returning to Islam. They just don't want them, you know, to be influencing the culture because it's, it's about political power. It's about, you know, having that control. So how does this intimidation by putting these wonderful people that are just trying to serve Jesus in prison, does that intimidation work? And is that causing people to say, okay, I, I'd, I'd like to follow Jesus, but 
I don't know if it's really worth, you know, the price that I'd have to pay. Well, uh, you're very correct in what also Dr. Hormos shared. It used to be a lot scarier uh, in the beginning of this whole journey in the last 40 years for people to uh, count the cost and, uh, and say, you know what, I'm going to stand for Jesus. But you know what, people after a while are so sick and tired of everything that's going on that they're willing to take that step and say, you know what, no matter what happens, I'm going to stand because I am really tired. So you would see more and more people turning to Christ and they really have no fear. They've become fearless in terms of uh, the threats or the intimidation that the government may portray that we're going to do this to you, we're going to do that to you. Uh, nevertheless, uh, there is that, that always that uh, fear that uh, especially executions are pretty much gone. They don't execute Christians. I think it's an it's a international disaster for them to, uh, to do something like that because they pretend to be advocates of uh, political freedom and you know, individual rights. In reality, it's no such thing. But Yeah, it's not like they've changed their opinion on that. If they could get away right. with the executions, they would continue to do that. But yeah, the international pressure, they're trying to portray themselves in a way. And I, and I think many countries still see through their, you know, their brutality. But, it, you know, and so from that perspective, at least the executions aren't happening, but that intimidation, how important Ed, is it for our brothers and sisters in Iran to get teaching about what the Bible says about persecution, that if you're going to follow Jesus, you know, it's going to cost you something. And I know for us living here in Canada and in the West, we don't understand that. And, and often we kind of just blow by a lot of those scriptures that talk about that. So our friends in Iran, even new followers of Jesus, really have to understand that right from the beginning that there's likely a cost, not only possible imprisonment, but also to be separated from your family, job loss, and all that goes along with that. Well, you, you hit the point on, on, on the head, basically, because uh, unfortunately, Greg, unfortunately, uh, the Internet, with all its positive uh, aspects, also feeds a lot of misinformation from Christianity into the theology of people, especially people uh, in Iran. So some of us who are a little bit more on the, on the fundamental and sound uh, theology, we're trying our best to keep people uh, as uh, so-called on the straight path and rather than getting into things that are extreme teachings that are coming primarily from North America, the prosperity gospels. Yeah, I was going to say the prosperity gospel. We've seen that trip up believers all over the world. Exactly, but in Iran, obviously, it doesn't sit well when we see that people are holding on to these promises that are out of context. They don't really apply the way they've been taught or preached. So on the other hand, we really lack... Uh, a systematic and a, a comprehensive teaching on persecution and what it means and what it costs to be a disciple of Christ. So we welcome, I welcome personally, any uh, material or any teaching that are uh, provided by teachers that are specializing in the area of persecution and the relationship of the church to persecution what it is that they need to know and how they do, how do they stand in the times of persecution? 
These are some wonderful resources that we seriously lack in the church, the Iranian church. And the more we put an effort to get these the material translated and transmitted to the church, I think is going to provide a lot more strength, a lot more hope, a lot more confidence for Christians to be able to withstand the repressive environment that they're in. And, you know, the other thing that last question you asked me, I think long imprisonments are a, a better threat and a greater threat than execution. Execution happens one time happens a few minutes and you're gone. But long-term imprisonments, and lately the prison, the prison terms have become longer. It used to be one or two years. Now it's about five to ten years for some of these activities. And, of course, as long as you're a Christian, as you said, people don't bother with you as much. But the moment you begin to share your faith and you start to somehow witness and evangelize, that's when the, the trouble begins because you're not supposed to propagate. You're not supposed to evangelize and long-term prison uh, conditions. It's, it's the only thing that currently uh, somewhat, uh, you know, provides a, a, a security for the government to feel that at least they've got things under control. Yeah, it's, I mean, again, there, there's so many obstacles that they're having to deal with, uh, you know, in the Iranian church. So how are they dealing internally within the country uh, with persecution? How do they encourage each other not to give up on the faith? Well, first of all, as you know, in most countries and history, when churches have been under uh, overt persecution, uh, first of all, you never have a church with a large congregation. You divide it up into smaller cells so that right. there is no danger of mass uh, arrest or, 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 you know, situation that the government would be able to detain a lot of people. So most of these churches are cells of uh, maybe five to 10 at most. Uh, so they have a very close relationship in prayer. There's a lot of time spent in prayer. There's a lot of time spent in accessing sites where they can re receive some very deep and, uh, uh, nourishing teachings where uh, their their uh, relationship with Christ and knowing him personally and developing that relationship with Christ becomes uh, the focus of their Christian lives. Uh, so I think that little community of five or ten uh, being in touch with each other and, you know, very wisely try to meet once in a while is probably the only source of uh, localized fellowship and strengthening and encouragement. And of course, we as the minister of the gospel from the outside, we constantly provide them with uh, resources, i.e. teachings and uh, even worship music. So they can record this worship music and uh, keep it in their homes and be able to listen to them or on their cell phones. Uh, we're doing everything we can given all the, restrictions and difficulties. But trust me, Greg, uh, when we are in, a, in that situation, when you and I are placed in that situation, there is an amazing grace that is uh, given by God, a grace that you and I may not see it every day in our lives. Uh, but so very clearly, we would feel that grace in our lives if we were in the same conditions. And God would give them some amazing ways of understanding the scriptures 
knowing Christ. Many people don't even have a Bible or a complete Bible. They have parts of the Bible that they've downloaded from here and there. Uh, there there's no Bible to be sold in the bookstore. So they have to really pray for somehow in, in some situations for, for someone to give them a Bible. So we do send Bibles into Iran also very actively and we mail it to them in some, through some very uh, innovative ways that people can receive the scriptures because that's the only source that they can have that they would continuously support them, encourage them better than any human uh, words or uh, human voice. The voice of God in the scripture is the primary source for them to be able to strengthen. Yeah, it's quite amazing, you know, how God works when we get into these very difficult situations. And we would like to experience that grace more, uh, but it's often when we are most desperate. And, you know, I think you and I know in our walk with Jesus and what we've seen around the world, that if we have it too easy and there's too much prosperity and it's that kind of thing, uh, we can get a little bit lackadaisical. And, And it's interesting, as I've been talking to, you know, many Canadian Christians, you know, even just in the last few days again, saying, you know, if if it's too easy, and again, there's some, you know, situations, of course, with the pandemic and the churches not being able to meet and people are feeling, you know, pressure and reacting in different ways, of course. But it it's when we go through those really hard situations that there's that desperation. It's like, you know, this morning I did my devotionals. Well, I, you know, I've got many Bibles in my house, but if I didn't have access to a Bible and if I was in prison and I got a Bible, it just becomes even that much more alive. So, Ed, what can we do here in Canada, in the West, uh, to help our brothers and sisters, you know, in such a repressive and suffering conditions as they are in Iran? Uh, Greg, as uh, you said it very well, I think the best thing that we can do first and foremost is to pray. When the church prays, things happen in the heavenly realms. And it doesn't matter whether we're praying in Canada or we're praying in U.S. or we're praying in Europe. It doesn't matter. The church needs to be united in prayer. Many times we're looking for unity, but I think the best unity is unity in prayer first and foremost. We need to pray. So when we pray, things would happen. I mean, when you read the book of Daniel, he was praying for 21 days when the angel finally broke through and came and gave Daniel some great messages about the future of the world. So we need to pray for the Lord to have a breakthrough in Iran and maintain that breakthrough through his power and his grace to touch people's lives. That would be the first and foremost and the most important. Other than that, obviously, our brothers and sisters in Canada, in U.S. or anywhere in the Western world, They need to get behind ministries that are specifically uh, targeting Iran and working with Iranians inside Iran. And the other element is there are a lot of ministers or pastors outside of Iran who are working with refugee groups uh, in different countries, even in Western Europe, for instance, in Germany, as an example. We have so many Iranian communities now in major cities same here in Canada. We have in Toronto, Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton, Montreal, you know, major cities in Canada. We have Iranian communities, and there are Christian communities within these Iranian communities, and there are pastors that are serving these people. And these people are themselves a platform to take the gospel back to their family and relatives and people that they know inside Iran. 
probably sometimes easier than a pastor or a uh, official minister would be able to do because they have that uh, intimate relationship with their own people there. So we need to support uh, both the uh, workers inside Iran and outside of Iran through ministries that specialize in uh, training pastors, working and discipling believers, uh, broadcasting programs, and providing resources to our brothers and sisters inside Iran. So I would encourage our viewers and our listeners to get behind a ministry that they think is doing a good job of reaching out to these uh, communities, especially inside Iran, and do whatever they think they can and as God gives them grace to be able to uh, provide uh, also other resources like finances that uh, most of these projects are capital intensive because, you know, you got, you got to buy Bibles, you got to produce programs, you got to pay for satellite airtime. All of these things, uh, you know, as you very well know, uh, have costs associated with them. But first and foremost, let's pray. And secondly, let's get behind some of these ministries and help these brothers and sisters who are in the front lines to be able to do the work that God has commissioned them. Yeah, we, and I know Voice of the Martyrs Canada, we have such a, you know, incredible passion when it comes to Iran, you know, working with yourself, Dr. Hermos Shariat, the Hussepians. Uh, I mean, God is really working in Iran in such a powerful way. And of course, as we're talking about, there's also that pushback as well uh, with the increased persecution. Now, many Iranian Christians have left the country. I mean, a lot of people from Iran have left the country. I understand that. I've had opportunity to meet Iranian Christians in, you know, other countries like Turkey. And uh, so there's a situation going on right now, which I know we have been talking about with uh, the Christian refugees that are in Turkey. Tell me a little bit about that, Ed, uh, you know, how they got there. What is the situation like and what can practically be done to help them out? Uh, as you said, uh, many Iranian Christians have fled Iran. Uh, due to uh, unbearable problems that they've had, whether you call it a persecution or uh, restrictions that are tightening up every day. So they've decided that this is time for me to leave Iran and go to another safe country. And the, the, one of the countries that is kind of like a bridge between Iran and the West is obviously Turkey. So sub-Christians have had no uh, difficulty flying into Turkey because their passports and the government has not placed a uh, restriction in terms of leaving Iran. Many of them have left Iran by foot uh, through land borders uh, and not official borders, but escaping through the very difficult terrain that there is between Iran and Turkey. But, you know, nevertheless, having taken that chance, uh, dangers uh, in uh, many ways, natural dangers as well as uh, being shot by uh, government people or, you know, even people that are looking there to take advantage of uh, the refugees. And they've ended up in Turkey. Uh, in almost every city in Turkey, there is a uh, Iranian community that uh, are either political refugees or religious refugees. And Christianity is the number one uh, form of uh, asylum seeking that there is currently in Turkey among Iranians. So they're there and waiting for uh, the United Nations, uh, UN uh, High Commission on Refugees to grant them asylum and find a host country for them. 
Unfortunately, 2018, uh, the United Nations abandoned Turkey in terms of their responsibility in supervising and monitoring the condition of the refugees and granting asylum and handed over everything to the Turkish government. And obviously the, with that, there are problems uh, that uh, it's so obvious that uh, there is not much of a friendly attitude towards Christians, particularly those who've converted from Islam to Christianity. So there are a lot of problems there currently for Christians, even now in Turkey, where uh, they're always in, in the fear of uh, if being uh, detained or arrested for any reason, they might be deported back to Iran. And uh, obviously ending, ending up back in Iran is uh, another disaster in waiting, basically. So conditions are not very good right now as we speak. And refugees are really desperate. Some of them have been there for five or six or seven years and have not yet been interviewed by any official authority or organization to see, well, what is the case that they're presenting? And they're, they have no identity, obviously. They have no legal identity. They have no access to any resources, no insurance, no medical help, no uh, real income that they can earn. And they have to work uh, what we call black money, you know, working for- Underground, yeah. Under, uh, and illegally trying to survive, basically. Uh, and that's the situation. So what we're trying to do also is to provide some help as, as best as we can from time to time. Uh, you brought up uh, Voice of Martyrs Canada. We did have a project in 2019 where we did travel to Turkey and we provided some aid to as many families as we could, even, if, even though it was one time. And yet I think it was tremendously appreciated and uh, a blessing to many of these people. How do they live in such limbo for, you know, four or five years and sometimes in cases longer than that, you know, as a follower of Jesus, how do they get their bearings to be able to continue on? And are they able to share, you know, the message of God's love to other Iranians that maybe have not made that decision to follow Jesus? Well, uh, let's take that last part of your question. Yes, they are sharing their experience, their testimony with uh, other Iranians who are either political refugees or maybe on some social causes. There are a lot of women there who have escaped uh, the problems with their husbands, uh, you know, victims of severe physical or sexual abuse uh, that they had no other alternative. And, and, you know, in Iran, the culture is such that the entire family gets involved in the life of a, a married couple. So it's not just the husband, but they have to deal with all the relatives of the husband uh, in some cases. So there are a lot of single women with children that have escaped. Uh, they're very open to the gospel. The gospel brings them that uh, saving grace from both spiritual and also in that mental anguish that they have from all the abuse that they've experienced. And, God brings them healing in, in that process. So they do share uh, their faith with other Iranians. And how do they survive? Uh, by clicking together, by sticking together uh, and having these small fellowships where they can attend, at least in Turkey, they have the right to assemble you know, on a very limited basis at homes and uh, maybe they can rent a little space there and get together once a week and have some worship music 
have someone that preaches to them. There are a number of organizations that are actually actively working in Turkey uh, in terms of church planting and uh, missionary work. And we are also one of those organizations that are working with uh, Iranian refugees in Turkey to help them with all the resources that we can provide them. And the last thing I'll ask you, Ed, is how can we then practically, and again, prayer is the number one thing. We don't ever, you know, kind of just go over that quickly. Yeah, prayer, but what else? No, prayer, and then it's within prayer that the Holy Spirit gets upon our hearts. And I often tell people this too, is that when you work with, you know, in our organization like Voice of the Martyrs, uh, with so many different, you know, persecuted Christians around the world, then there's the needs in our local communities. I mean, there's so many things going on, but it's prayer that the Lord really zones in and says, okay, no, I want you to work here. So I know there's people listening or watching what we're doing today and talking about Iran that want to get involved. What's the best way to do that financially and then maybe even beyond that? Well, Greg, let me say this. First of all, I would like to take this time and opportunity to truly recognize and appreciate what the Voice of Martyrs Canada has done at least in my experience over the last few years, I think they've been the most gracious and supportive organization in terms of understanding and feeling the pain that many of these loved ones have gone through and an experience. And I found the Voice of Martyrs Canada to be a very, very good partner in many ways and many projects that we've undertaken in the last few years. So there is a word of thanks and appreciation that is due to the Voice of Martyrs Canada. And I hope this thing would continue for many years to come uh, through various sources that they provide uh, the compassion and the grace that God has given them to help these families. But other than prayer, as you said, I think uh, supporting an organization like Voice of Martyrs Canada and uh, providing funding for these projects obviously is something that uh, I would highly encourage our friends and our brothers and sisters, as I said before, to consider getting behind some of these organizations. One would be the Voice of Martyrs Canada. Uh, and of course, we, I work with the Voice of Martyrs Canada on specific projects, and I've always been able to uh, come to some kind of a, a partnership with them, and they've provided funding for some of our projects, like translation of some material, creating some videos uh, that we needed to have in, our, in terms of our arsenal of uh, material that we need to send over to Iran or Christian communities. Also some uh, financial and material. Right now, as we speak, there is a situation in Turkey in one of the cities in Denizli, which is a city of about 700,000 population. I think it's the fourth largest city in Turkey. Uh, we have a church there, the Church of the Firstborn, and a pastor is a lady who's been there now for six years, has not been interviewed, has claimed refugee, and no one has yet uh, you know, taken the time to interview her and find what the case is all about. But recently, about uh, two or three weeks ago, she was detained along with her son on some charges that are basically ridiculous, that uh, she had insulted the religion or the government with over the last six years. She's never, ever done anything like that. So... Things like that all of a sudden happen, and we need to immediately uh, take a pause and say, well, how can we help situations like that? Uh, Voice of Martyrs Canada was very generous to assist us in some of the legal uh, 
cost associated with having a lawyer, a local person, to uh, look into the matter and to see if they can help this lady to be taken out of detention. Uh, she's taken to a place where most of the ISIS terrorists are held, and she's the only lady there. She's the only woman there. And she's a Christian. Imagine in a place where ISIS is being kept, uh, you put a Christian pastor there, a female uh, individual, and expect uh, her to survive. And no. she, she, uh, call, she calls once a day to kind of give a 10-minute report of what's going on. She said, you know, several times they've tried to knock my cell door down. and They're not like, I don't think they're metal doors. They're like just rooms with regular doors. And uh, had it not been for the guards, probably they, they, they would have uh, stepped into that room and who knows what they would have done to her. Yeah. So uh, she's in a terrible situation and we've been trying to help her, first of all, to get out of the detention and prison because the charges are totally false. And secondly, uh, we've been trying to reach out to the Canadian government and other officials to consider helping this lady on diplomatic or some uh, legal basis from an international point of view. And uh, I ask all our friends to pray. Her name is Bahar, B-A-H-A-R, uh, and her family. And she's been there for over six years with no uh, decision made by UN, not an interview even. And currently she's uh, in detention with her son. The daughter is left alone in a home uh, in Denizli. And she's, she and her son have been taken about eight hours away in a, a very, very terrible situation in a detention, as I said, that are not really designed for a person of that kind to be housed with some potential terrorists or very violent people. And we ask all our friends to pray and uh, financially, obviously, there will be uh, costs that I've already notified VOM Canada to uh, partner with us, and they'll be very generous in providing us with some funding. Uh, and to, uh, to us uh, to be able to reach the Canadian government and say, please help. This is a situation that there's an urgency to it. Uh, she would have eventually ended up in Canada had she been interviewed by UN because we would have then provided sponsorship uh, agreement with the government. But obviously right now everything is up in the air with the detention. And so we need to first resolve that before we can get the Canadian government to have a uh, consideration of a more urgent and more rapid uh, acceptance of her application to be sponsored in Canada. Before we go, Ed, let's, let's pray for Bihar and uh, for our brothers and sisters in Iran, uh, we, we talk about prayer and we believe in prayer. So, you know, as you're listening, as you, if you're watching this podcast, uh, just join us right now. We know that God, uh, you know, will can be moved by our prayers. We believe that. And uh, we want to intercede in this situation with our sister Bahar, her family. It's a very difficult situation. And uh, so, let, Ed, let's do that right now. If you could just leave. Yes, great. Before we pray, I uh, just wanted to remind our, our viewers, our friends, that the detention was seven of them that were detained. is Bahar, her son, and five other young men that have been detained. So our prayer should cover all these seven individuals that are currently in that situation. So I agree we should pray and bring them to the throne of grace. And we're also going to provide your website uh, in on the show notes on the podcast if they want to get a hold of you. 
Uh, Voice of the Martyrs Canada information will also be on there. And again, let's let's pray. Let's believe that God will do a mighty work in this situation for Bihar and the others that you mentioned. So please leave us. One last thing, Greg, before we pray is that uh, I am uh, more than willing and will be very happy to provide a copy of the book that I wrote uh, a couple of years ago. It's called In Search of the Divine Seed, Hmm. uh, a look at the person of Christ in the Old Testament. Uh, It was published, and uh, anyone who wants to send a gift to Voice of Martyrs Canada specific to this conversation that we had today or to us directly, uh, I don't mind providing this gift as a way of thanking our people who've truly been uh, faithful in their giving all the time in the past, and now maybe perhaps the Lord will uh, put on their hearts to do a little bit more for this specific project. Amen. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you today for this time that my brother Greg and myself, we shared uh, things that were on our hearts and in our minds regarding your people, your children, your church. You're the owner of your church. You're the Lord of your church. It doesn't matter where that church is, uh, universally, everywhere, where two or three people are gathered and your name is raised, your flag is raised, your church is there, and you are the Lord over your church. And today we remembered our brothers and sisters in Iran and all the Iranians inside and outside of Iran that have come to know you as Lord and Savior. And uh, we thank you, Lord, that you've given us this opportunity to discuss, uh, to look into this matter and to uh, have a aroused compassion and a heart to pray and to help these brothers and sisters. They are members of our spiritual family. And right now we raise them before the throne of grace as our high priest in the order of Melchizedek, our Lord Jesus Christ, our risen Lord, is there to intercede and to provide us with help. We come to that throne and we ask that you help the church in Iran. You uh, give a special, special grace to every believer in that country in the very difficult circumstances they're in, that you give them wisdom, you give them courage, you give them understanding, and you teach them by your Holy Spirit how to uh, stand and how to be a testimony for you, even in the most difficult conditions, repressive conditions in that country. I also pray for all the refugees have left Iran and whether they're in Turkey or in Eastern or Western Europe or even here in Canada, that your hand of grace be upon them. You use the local churches around the world to be an instrument of blessing for these families and individuals that are seeking help. They're seeking refuge and they've found these countries like Canada, a place where they can have peace and safety and security to raise their families and to be able to worship you in freedom that this country has. Father, we thank you. We provide uh, whatever we can, but it is your blessing that has to increase uh, the, uh, the magnitude of our help, not only in prayer, but also we pray that you touch the hearts of everyone who is hearing or watching this broadcast, that if they can do something to provide Uh, support for ministries like the Voice of Martyrs Canada or other ministries to get behind them and to support them 
with all the generous gifts that they can so that this work will continue and our brothers and sisters in that part of the world will know that we care about them, we pray for them, and we will stand with them in the most difficult times. We thank you that you heard our prayers. We pray all this in Jesus' name as we remember our sister Bahar, the church in Denizli, the seven individuals that are in detention. Father, you rescue them through whatever channels and means possible and reunite them with their families. And if it's, their, if it's your will that they end up in Canada, we pray that the government would also have a favorable view of this matter. We thank you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Ed, so thanking you for being with us today. Appreciate all that you're doing, our partnership with the Voice of the Martyrs. And uh, I know you and I are looking forward to being able to get back out beyond the country uh, with the pandemic. But the Lord knew this was coming. He has prepared you. He's prepared me. He's prepared the Voice of the Martyrs. Uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ cannot be stopped. There's many exciting days ahead for Amen. that part of the world where Iran is. Uh, we know that biblically from the past and also into the future. So thank you for all you're doing, and God bless you, man. Keep safe. Thank you, Greg. Thank you, Greg. You're a great brother, a great friend, and I look forward to, uh, as you said, uh, with the pandemic ending soon, hopefully, we'll be able to get back on track. Uh, you and I were supposed to go to Turkey together and uh, we were almost there. We, all, we also, we even got our tickets reserved and then the last minute things changed and uh, I look forward to taking a rain check on that with you, Greg. Me too. God bless you. Thanks again, Ed. God bless you. Take care. So appreciated having Dr. Sally on the podcast today and also our partnership with him and his team with the Voice of the Martyrs Canada. And, you know, you may want to find out more about ICNet TV and Acts 13 Christian Ministries. We'll put the information on the show notes for this podcast. It's ICNet.TV and also Acts13.com. And if you'd like more information about what the Voice of the Martyrs Canada is doing around the world, we have so many amazing projects or if you'd like to invite a speaker, I know we've had these lockdowns in Canada over the past year and a half or so, but we're open for business. I'd love to come to your church or one of our team at VOM Canada would love to come and share about what God is doing in the persecuted church. You know, and it's not just about suffering, but it's about the many victories that our brothers and sisters are seeing. And, you know, we've talked about Iran, maybe the fastest growing church in the world. We see the millions coming to Jesus in China. God is at work. He is pouring his spirit on all flesh. It's amazing. We need to hear these stories. It helps us to better know how to pray. And also it inspires us in our faith. VOMCanada.com. We would love to hear from you. And remember, the closer you are to Jesus, the closer you are to the fire.